Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel series, an informal chat about writing and the business and process of writing. Each and every panel benefits A26LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on A26LA, visit A26LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage program in the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes and via Nerdist.com. Uh, I've written for the series Super Ninjas and Supernatural. Please welcome some of the brains behind the Nick Kroll show. That's it. That's an intro. Come on out. <laughs> the most important brains. I'm sorry. It's called the Kroll show. It's, yeah, it's called Kroll Show, so you're 0 for 2 now. Yeah. <laughs> Please introduce yourselves to these people and to the microphone so everyone knows what you hear. So I am Nick Kroll. John Levenstein. John Kreisel. Thank you guys for being here. Um, let's, let's jump right in. The show just ended its first season. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it was so great. Are you guys fans of the show? I assume <laughs> What if they were here for, like, a Let's Bowl panel? Hardwick isn't even here to defend himself. Be nice. Oh, was um, he on? What, did he do that? Yes. I didn't even know that. Um, I remember Shipmates. He's more of a Shipmates guy to me. Or a, or a, we have the minds behind Shipmates here next week. Nice. That's who it is. That's a hit. Um, let's start uh, from the beginning of Curl Show. Uh, tell us where this came from. It's it's such a fun show, and it's a voice unlike any other that's on Comedy Central or really on TV right now. Um, you know, it really feels like you guys are getting to put on the show that you want to put on, mm-hmm. uh, which is amazing. Uh, take us through the process of when when did you start talking to Comedy Central about the show? Had you taken it other places? We um no so I, the I, the easiest version of the I guess the relationship developing there was uh, I did a, a special for Comedy Central a couple years ago called Thank You Very Cool and that was a bunch of the characters and stand up mixed together and then almost simultaneously um, me John Kreisel and John Daly um, sold them a show called Rich Dicks like a, a, a 15 minute version of Rich Dicks um, which they liked but they weren't they weren't doing that 15 minute programming and because I'd been doing the Thank You Very Cool sort of as a Sort of a backdoor pilot, so just to see if it, if the relationship would work. Um, they were like, "We want to do a, sh- a, ca- a sketch show," um, and so obviously, John Kreisel um, was a, who obviously the guy to do it because he's the best in the biz. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, and and John Levinson and I had done uh, the Life of Times of Tim together. Um, he ran the show season two, is it? 
Season two. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we had a blast. And, and so then we had a, a nice lunch at Cube. Remember that lunch at Cube? <laughs> Meats and cheeses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we were just like, this guy is so funny. Yeah. I, um, I could not stop laughing. Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit, uh, before we kind of get deeper into the show's origin, uh, uh, Nick and Kreisel, how, how did you guys start working together? It was through these shorts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think originally we did the Rich Dicks short okay. mm-hmm. um, just to do it, and then we gave it to Funny or Die. Just yeah, put they liked it. And were you, uh, John, were you, <laughs> were you directing, or uh, how did the cl- collaboration work? Yeah. This yeah. is the first and only time that representation was actually super helpful, yeah. and we had the same manager, and they're always like, you should sit down, and you're like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I saw John's stuff. He, was, he directed a wrote and edited a ton of Tim and Eric mm-hmm. and so and the first time we met was at Milk um, and you had been editing the, one of the funnier die shows, was it your show with yeah uh, uh, yeah, that was a weird project with Karen Black we brought back <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what was that? I the second that. collabo it was Karen Black and, um, and Bud Court yeah. and I was working with them which was an amazing experience <laughs> very difficult but fun and um yeah, they said, well, this guy, Nick Kroll, he's on Cavemen at the time, or had just left? This was after the hit show. This was after the hit show, Cavemen, I think. Um, Available on DVD. But the reputation was there, and I... I said, I actually have Geico. <laughs> yeah, so it worked out. It made sense. But we met at Milk in, on, on Beverly, and uh, we had, like, a coffee or a meal, and... John, but you'd been editing for like 48 hours straight, and so Hillary was driving you around. Uh, <laughs> My costume designer that I work with, she was just taking pity on me. And she was literally out. driving him around, and Hillary's our, our wardrobe uh, person who is the insane, crazy, like, uh, I mean, everything, I think uh, all the costumes, everyone looks so good on it, and she's yeah. a... So we had, and we talked, I was like, so we had this idea called Rich Dicks, and you were like, yeah, I got it. Well, immediately I said, <laughs> I can't name names, but I said, I know, the, I know exactly the people you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> and we actually had a mutual friend yeah. who was a reference point. I'm like, well, I, ha- I know this guy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, and I was like, like, oh, yeah, I know, yeah, I know that guy. And so we, and it was a perfect, <laughs> <laughs> it was. And then we sort of settled on the hills as a look to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, let me. Uh, were these Rich Dick's characters characters that you and Daly had been doing? Yeah, Daly, Daly, I saw it on stage. Um, John, who's going to be here today, but he's shooting something. Uh, he might actually come running in at oh, some great, point. Oh, great, great. Um, so, John, he, got, he did a character one night at UCB called yeah, Wendy Sean. Uh, I, th- I can't remember if he had that name already. Uh, Wendy Sean. Uh, the, he's never worked a day in his life. And it was just that <laughs> super rich, affected character. And I saw it, and I, my eyes lit up because I had been s- like circling around that kind of guy for a while uh, my whole life, having grown up a rich dick. So, it, <laughs> so I saw him, and we... John's from uh, P- uh, Pittsburgh area, and I'm from outside New York. And we just had an immediate connection. So we started talking about it, going on hikes and sort of coming up with the characters and pitching ideas. And then we met Kreisel. And then we just me and, we just put up the money ourselves and, and yeah, didn't use a couple friends. And, like, the house, the original house is, like, a regular house in Eagle Rock, remember? Yeah, and my friend was shooting the hills, so I got her to be the... <laughs> yeah, shooter. yeah. And, she, and it was amazing because there's all these tricks how they shot the hills. They would go into, like, a sushi restaurant in the morning, hang these lights... And then come back in at night and just turn them on and just shoot it right when the restaurant was going. Yeah. 
So we got to do that too. So it was really fun. We used restaurants that they were using on the hills. Yeah, they told them like the hills is coming in. Yeah. Um, you're gonna get a lot of business because we'll see them on the show. And they're like, oh, okay, great. Like we were. <laughs> yeah. And then we came in. They're like, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Not that characters. different. <laughs> we did less takes. So yeah, so then yeah, that, and that, and then we made, and then me and Daly and Kreisel made the Ed Hardy boys together oh, a- after that, um, and 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 yeah, so we were just kept. That's how we'd started working together. And so was was the idea early going on these that you would take them somewhere to shop them? You know, whether it's for this fifteen minute uh, p- show or to eventually do something else, or were they just to you know turn out the material? Um, I, I you know I think currently there's there's not a huge difference at some point. Like I think I de- I mean I'm sh- I mean I have like I've always had grand designs, um, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but it wasn't. I truly think we were just making them because they were fun and you know because the technology we could go make it. For for very very little money and get it out exactly the way we wanted. I think that was been very helpful to us on the show in general. Was just then going to you know going to the network and being like, here's this is you already know what it lo- what they look like, what they sound like. It's going to be funnier to see them than to read them on the page. Um, and and so it was it was a, it's been an easier process I think sure. because of that. Uh, so tell me you know. Once it was decided that the, they weren't doing 15-minute shows and you had done the stand-up uh, and sketch special um, and you guys were you know, starting to formulate what this show would be. I mean, Jonathan, you were telling me that the, uh, the pilot was done years before, right? Well, we, you know, Nick is on the league mm-hmm. and I do Portlandia. So there's, we did a pilot and then there was a long time of... Well, we're off doing other things, so it sort of had this. Yeah, we got like picked up. We shot it in April, and then April of 2011, and then we got picked up in like June, both as both of us were going back to Portlandia in the league, and then we wrapped in, you know, I wrapped in like November, and then we started writing Kroll Show in November, and then shot, you know, and then shot it in like March 2012, and then it got released in. Of 2013, so there's stuff in the pilot like publicity in the pilot and Ref Jeff and San Diego Diet were all shot almost two years before they aired, right? Yeah, just kind of crazy. Uh, and when you guys sat down to start actually writing the pilot, did you have an idea of what this show would be? You know, overall, did you know you know we're going to, like I say, the the show we know. Did you know you're going to zero in on? You know, one character or one one theme for each one. What what did that that pilot process look like for you guys? Let's see. What do you think? How was your take? Well, I guess I, I had certain goals coming in. I mean, I I came in as I guess I'd call myself the head writer, yeah. and I'm most concerned with character and story. And so, at Arrested Development, one of my jobs was breaking the stories and pitching them to the network. And they were very complicated. I knew that wasn't going to happen here. But I still wanted to be able to tell stories. And in terms of the characters, I wanted to give Nick opportunities to act. I felt like his advantage as an actor wasn't just the impressions and the characterizations, but that within each character, he could go pretty deep. So from the beginning, I was looking to tell stories, even though the sketches were short. I wanted to keep coming back to things. And I wanted to give Nick chances in each character 
to cry, to yell, um, to act betrayed. And I've been fairly successful. He's really pulling it out with each character. At some point in the sketch, Nick is just a mess. Yeah, you do get to live in the characters oh, a little so bit. Oh, so fun. Yeah, so there's a determination to not skim the surface uh, from the beginning, I would say. And that was why when we, when we met with John, and I knew that from having worked with him directly, but when we met with... with uh, Levenstein, that we were able, it was it was clear right away that with his experience at Arrested and, and in bigger storytelling, that that it was going to be driven by that and from like emotional, honest uh, places and and tell stories with good plots and and I think that's and Kreisel on Portlandia is also I mean you guys are you have things recurring you tell larger stories and 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 that was what I've been interested in. And I, but I think you characters. were always saying early on like I don't want I want this to be about characters not about premises and yes. so that became okay okay we kind of have to rethink the sketch uh, you know and what that is and and john has a background in psychology too so (laughs) well and we had a lot of funny writers working on the show but i feel like there's a lot of sketches out there and sometimes people's first instinct can be to pitch a premise sketch Mm -hmm. where there's one game where there's one joke where it's based on a title and we wanted to be able to use those, but if it was just that, we wouldn't do it. So we would use those as a way in to find out, is there a way that that can be a window into doing something more? You know, And so some stuck and some didn't stick. Mm-hmm. Um, well, tell me a little bit about, for each of you, your, your comedy background. I mean, I feel like that way of pitching sketches or that way of doing sketches is so ingrained into like the UCB and the Second City and all that where... Fuck both those organizations. <laughs> heard it one. here first. <laughs> Um, but so tell me about where you guys come from, uh, comedy. They didn't pay me to make my TV show, so fuck the UCB. <laughs> um, what is your background in? Uh, I started at the UCB theater. <laughs> um, I, I started doing improv in college, and um, and then moved to New York, and had been watching the UCB, and then doing their workshops, and then moved to New York and started working at you know performing at the theater and taking classes, and then. Simultaneously doing stand up and, and open mics and around New York and met like Chelsea Peretti doing that and met John Mullaney in college doing improv and um, other folks from Georgetown who, I, who Allison Becker who's done a bunch of stuff all over town and Mike Birbiglia and um, my buddies Brian Donovan and Ed Harrow both did the show this past year and um, that was a the base for me, and then yeah, moved to New York, and and then I eventually started doing stand up, and then doing characters and doing live characters more like presentationally. I think that was part of the, the start of it, as opposed to I got really it felt very inhibited doing sketch live about sort of like being like oh, everyone's got to pretend like we're in a doctor's office right now, <laughs> and and if someone forgets their lines, you're fucked. It's like I just couldn't. I I got I got I just wasn't what didn't come naturally to me. Um, and so that's where the character stuff, I think, started coming and how, out. How early on was that character stuff? Um, I started doing Fabrice, I think, was probably the first. I, almost since the beginning, there were versions of all the characters that where they are now. But Fabrice, I started doing it. You see, uh, the first time I did Fabrice was Aziz uh, and um, Eric Appel. And I think, did Sheer host it as well? Um, did a Trapped in the Closet. Um, and they screened the first six episodes of Trapped in the Closet, and they um, 
uh, and, and they had a bunch of panelists come up who had been involved in the movie in some capacity. And so I came, it was, and it was the UCB Theater in L.A. had just opened up, and uh, I was sort of like circling around this sort of like Latino kind of guy <laughs> character. I was just, I don't know, it was like a New York guy, and I was like sort of this, you know, gay Latino thing, and... And so we came out to L.A., and I was like, I, and, and Z's and I walked around Target and found, like, the pink moon boots and, <laughs> and then settled on Fabrice Fabrice. And then, and, and then so I did it. He was originally the, you know, the costume designer, and then the second time I did it as the craft services coordinator. And, then it, so in the, and that was a while ago, and then Mulaney and I have been doing Oh, Hello for a long time. Yeah, I was going to ask about those characters. But I'll, we'll, I'll, we can get to that. So, but, but anyway, that's sort of my background. I, okay. These guys I might have... Different experiences. Uh, one <laughs> one other quick one. question. <laughs> uh, one other quick question. What were some of the comedy influences for you? What was the stuff you liked as you were coming up and forming your own, you know, comedy mind? Um, I th- I've been thinking about it recently, um, having been asked that, and I and I think um, uh, I think Mel Brooks really weighs quite heavily. Uh, yeah, from the producers and Blazing Saddles and Ian Frankenstein and History of the World. Uh, were all well, I watched those movies a lot, a lot growing up, um, and then the obvious SNLs and you know I watched like Wayne's World every day in seventh grade, <laughs> um, and um, and then the sketch stuff. But I, I kind of uh, you know I gradu- I was graduating school just when Daily Show and John Stewart was took over as the host, and I really, I really wanted to write for that show. I thought it was so smart and funny, and I mean it obviously is, but. Um, and then, you know, Brecht was a big... <laughs> That's obvious. <laughs> it's obvious from Rich Dix. Comes through in the work. Yeah. Uh, John, tell us about your comedy background. There's a, um, there's a little bit of a generational clash on this show because I'm about 20 years older than everyone else, and literally I don't understand what they're pitching sometimes, and they have to explain it to me. So... I graduated from college in 1981. I did sketch comedy in college, and almost immediately after college, I went to work as a writer for Michael Nesmith, who used to be one of the monkeys, but at the time, he'd just done something called Elephant Parts, and I wrote for him for a TV show called Television Parts in the 80s, which was uh, short films with stand-up comics. And I did sketch comedy for him throughout the 80s and wrote some movies for him. At some point after that, I turned 30, I stopped writing with my uh, writing partner. That's when I um, went to grad school to become a therapist. <laughs> it was in the middle of grad school that one of my old friends from television parts, Jim Vallely, called me and got me back into writing. I became a writer at Wit Thomas at the time doing sitcoms, and that's when I first wrote for Mitch Hurwitz on the John Larroquette show. And then I spent probably 10 years working on sitcoms, which was frustrating, where the the writers were always funnier than the shows themselves. Mm -hmm. So you'd have very funny conversations in writers' rooms, and it just just would not end up on the screen, you know? Well, that was also a really interesting time in TV sitcoms, because you did have something like the the Lara Cat show, which was so smart and dark and funny. And then you had, like, Full House also. Yeah. And then just also a lot of, um, because I didn't work on Seinfeld or Friends or any of those shows, just a lot of the knockoffs. A lot lot of the shows that were in that style, but they weren't good, and writers pitching the same jokes and helping on each other's shows to make sure they were all as shitty as each other. Um, It was a dark time in my mind for comedy. And so then when I worked on Arrested Development, it was the first time I'd done something where the funny stuff was actually getting on the screen. 
And that spoiled me. I became a little bit more of a dilettante after that. Um, wait, wait. I want to stop you right here. Yeah. Uh, because between, you know, first working for Hurwitz and then working on Arrested Development, you did you were kind of staffed on a bunch of different shows, yeah. right? You must have taken something from that show besides we're all doing terrible work. <laughs> taken something from a which show? You must have learned something from working on those other shows, right? I feel like I learned throughout, but... Um, Partly what I learned was my, my hatred of formula of any kind. And so that's where, um, I mean, again, it was working with very funny people, good faith efforts. I was trying as hard as anyone. But I look back, and I'm just embarrassed by a lot of my work over those years. And so it's the same thing with sketch, where I'm always trying to avoid formula. I feel like you know, sketch can succumb to it as easily as sitcoms can. And it's why we're always trying to you know, keep it real, keep it based on emotion, try to do things that are, that are new. Um, yeah, and so I've just been, I just got spoiled after Arrested Development. That's why I did Life and Times of Tim. Um, I get to help John out on Portlandia. Um, I'm trying to just do really uh, fun things right now, and Kroll Show has been the most fun for me. That's great. Uh, did Life and Times of Tim have a traditional writer's room? Not exactly, because Steve Dildarian, who created the show was, and was running it, was in San Francisco. <laughs> um, and then we had a group down here that was um, me and a couple writers, Luke Del Tredici, and actually I hired uh, Nick and Andy Daly as writers on that show. And we would write scripts, but it was my first extensive experience with improv, too. And I'd always been um, afraid of improv up to that point, because I felt like improv was where writers lose control. And I, did, I just didn't realize that once people are improving, actually writers can improv, too, and writers can beat their own pitches. And I would get uh, 10 bites at the apple instead of one bite at it. So I really learned on that show to embrace improv. That's cool. Yeah, John. John and I, we I worked on a few episodes with him. It was really fun. Uh, and when in the process did you get pulled into Kroll Show? Yes, it was um, before after, the pilot. Yeah, it was before the pilot. We all did the pilot together. But after they'd done that Rich Dicks thing, once they decided that it was going to be a show that was a sketch show with Nick playing different characters. Um, the three of us uh, formulated that together along with a couple other writers who came on from the beginning. John Daly was there from the beginning. Chelsea Peretti was there from the beginning for the pilot. And then um, moving on to the first year of the series, we had a lot of uh, brilliant writers coming and going. Yeah. Um, Jonathan. Yes. Tell us where, where you come from. I feel like I've been seeing your name on quality products for <laughs> oh, a few years now. Um, well, I... I went to NYU film school, you know, was going to be, I was really into, you know, filmmaking and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But even at the time, I, I, my senior thesis film was, I remember in the senior class, not everyone gets to make their films. So you have to pitch it. And I said, well, this is going to be kind of like a series of sketches. That did not go over well. People <laughs> did not, you know, filmmaking, this was pre-YouTube, you know, so everyone was still like, films are important. And all the <laughs> Well, just like... Not anymore. It's true. Um, but, you know, everyone's making serious movies. Everything was about a loner guy in New York City who, like... And I was like, I want to, you, you know, have just these vignettes. And so I did it, and it was fun. And um, What was the stuff you were into at the time that kind of put you on that track? You know, they showed us a film. There was just a lot of short films that other students had made, there, but there was this one that still is a big influence on me. And it was the guys from the state had gone there a couple years earlier, and they made this film called The Waiters. And it was a bunch of people waiting for things. And it would just start with, like, 
this is Bob. He's waiting for aliens to land. And it just set up all these people, and then the shit hit the fan, and, like, everything happened at once. Like, the aliens landed, like, you know. And it was just, it wasn't, like, a trying to be, like, a mini feature film. Right. And it played with the form, and it was like, oh, yeah, you can. You don't have to just, when you're in film school, it's like, this is your calling card. They're going to call you from the studio. And I was like, but can I just make something that's actually entertaining for the five-minute piece that it's going to be? And um, so that's what I was trying to do, just make something um, fun. So, so then when I graduated from school, you know, I, I, there was a possibility of like, oh, I could just, I, I really had no idea what I was doing in life. So I just took a job doing Photoshop stuff. That's, I knew I could make money. I didn't want to. Is this work. still in New York? Yeah, this is still in New York. I did not want to get burned out on film. So I started working at this ad agency doing Photoshop for years. And the people that I worked with were all in the same boat. They had gone to art school and they had no idea what they were doing with their lives. We started, I started a cable access show. And we started doing like industrial film parodies. Like. <laughs> Just self-help kind of videos and things that I... And, and we would collect these at thrift stores and stuff and just got really into, like, who made these things? <laughs> the, these, these are people making a, basically like a little film. They have no experience. And there was something very refreshing about that. Um, I met Tim Heidecker in New York. I moved to L.A. He eventually moved to L.A. Tim and Eric were doing um, Tom Goes to the Mayor for Adult Swim. And I showed them these films that, you know, these terrible videos that we had made. On purpose, we were making them bad, and they go, that's exactly what we want to do. So, um, so I did Tom Goes to the Mayor. I was hired just as an animator, really. And by the end of doing it, I had worked my way up to, like, director, you know, I, it, the whole show was done, done in Photoshop, so I had the skills for it. <laughs> it was perfect. And then we went on and did the Tim and Eric show, and then so then I was directing there and writing there. And it was, that was such a collaborative experience. And I learned, a, we just made a TV show. People gave us money. We should have never been on television. No one knew anything. And that was the best. We never hired a real person who knew anything about <laughs> television or anything. Didn't know about how to write things, how to, there was no writer. There was nothing was official. It was like, well, you're editing it. And can you do the special effects? Can you shoot it? Can you, mm-hmm. and, and, and it was such a, the, team that was surrounding it was um, just it was fun because no one knew anything and we could we didn't know any of those rules yeah. so we broke every single one on accident. Nick and I still fight with Chrysler sometimes whenever we want to hire a professional for a job <laughs> it's, a, it's a quarrel yeah yeah. because I, I, that, that's where I got really exposed to the non-actor that's sort of oh. <laughs> you know, which was such a refreshing thing to see on television. It was just like, wow. And that part of our show, I mean, it's you can feel like, yeah, when you watch Portlandia and Kroll show, you see the there are things, and then you look at Tim and Eric, and you see the all the things that Kreisel brings throughout, and and those people, the 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 real people, or I mean, I, it's hard to. <laughs> Is this a podcast or is this or is this just live? In the room? Um, well, sometimes you can get a, a performance because someone is that person, and if you try to fake it, it's not funny to me at all. Mm-hmm. So it brings a little grounding to it having those people. So anyway, to finish up the story, I was working there, started working with Nick, and kind of just trying to create my own thing, you know, not tied to that world. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so then I worked at Saturday Night Live for a year filling in for the Lonely Island because mm-hmm. uh, Yorman and Kiva were gone. So I filled in and worked with Andy, and that was an amazing experience. And then Portlandia started kind of out of that. Had a terrible interview with them. They hated me. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And I just said, I got to do this show. I have to do it because I know exactly what it is, and I can make it. And so then that was really fun, and that's still going on, too. So. Um, yeah, t- tell us a little bit. We, I don't think we've had anyone here from Portlandia yet. Uh, so tell us how that show is put together, just, you know, briefly. Um, you know, it's a similar model. It's, the, you know, just how this is the three of us sort of at the, you know, with a bunch of other talented people. Um, you know, it's just me, Fred, and Carrie. Um, and it's a smaller thing. It's, you know, it's, a, it's an art project up in Portland, and, the, you know, there's not much oversight, and... Um, it's um, it's just a really fun thing. Um, trying to, I don't know what the process is. It's a, it's a lot of things figured out at the last second, and it's it's a little more. Uh, you know, there's a dinner right before the shoot. Oh, you know, what we should do. You know, it's it's it it embraces that like art project. It really is an art project, and 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 I've tried to keep it that way for the three seasons so that it doesn't get too polished. I always use the metaphor of like. Like, The Cure came out with their first... Or just a band in general. They come out with their first album, and it is awesome. They've been friends for their whole lives. They come out with this album after... They've been working on it for 10 years. Then they come out with their second album. It's terrible. <laughs> because it's hard there to do. There are more do. parties involved. And then, you know, you, want it, you go, well, we used to do this little tape loop and this, like, you know, this terrible production value. And you go, actually, we liked that. When it get, things get too polished and too perfect, then... Um, they kind of lose, you know, it's just not that fun. So I try to keep it lo-fi forever. That said, the port, this season of Portland is all happening in space. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting hearing the backgrounds that you three have because I think the, the show reflects each of you uh, in, in really interesting ways. Yeah. I mean, what, do you guys see that on the screen? Do you see it in your collaborations? Yeah, we don't step on each other's toes a lot. It's interesting. We all have very specific concerns, and we all get to express ourselves, I feel like. Yeah, it's quite a... It's just like a pretty uh, functional three-headed monster in that. And, uh, yeah, in different stages of, you know, in, you know, in, in, in pre-production, you know, John and I, Kreisel and I are obviously writing, but really the, the, the writing and formation of that is going through Levenstein, and then we get on set, and Kreisel's directing, obviously, and controlling the aesthetic and at the end of the day it's all the words coming out of my mouth or what any the other characters are you know um i obviously i'm gonna say it or not say it um (laughs) nick has a real quiet power once the uh, camera's going (laughs) um and then post is you know kreisel and his editors are great but john is you know levinstein is watching over it and make tracking the stories and i'm and obviously we're all doing all of it but i'm i'm sort of Making sure that the, the the characters and aesthetics and all those things are, are happening how how I'd seen it it's it's a very effective um, uh, system and then there's a lot of conversations about when you do a sketch show you're putting together a puzzle 
and you have the ability and agility to constantly be shuffling things around and you know and deciding what goes where you're not tied to the constraints of of a 22 minute you know story or or arc or or whatever you know anything can go anywhere so there's infinite possibilities but slowly those are broken down and and um it's a you know it was a very it's a very i mean obviously we out our opinions at moments but it's a very collaborative uh process that i think the show um is really helped by mm-hmm. uh, and, oh sorry, i was go just going to say one thing that when I first saw Nick on stage doing Bobby Bottle Service, I could not believe how real a character it was. <laughs> like, I, every, you know, it's just like I totally know that guy, but it still is in outer space. Like, it's still such a crazy character. But I think when we started the show, it was like, let's see those characters. Let's see their lives. Let's see what, who, how did they get the way they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just treat them with love and respect and, you know, care about... Because we do love these characters a lot, and there's... Nick, you know, a lot of the ones that existed before, they were so well-crafted, and um, they are sort of relatable, even though they are such garbage, most of them. (laughs) (laughs) But you do do care, you know, even the rich sticks, you do kind of care about because they are so insecure, and you just know (laughs) that their whole life is just... If they stopped and think about it, yeah. they'll probably kill themselves. Yeah. But <laughs> they're just cruising along. Yeah, you know, they're yeah. fragile guys. Yeah. Yeah. This this was something I wanted to ask about because in in watching the show and then rewatching them, um, you know, there's clearly a line that you guys won't cross, and maybe it does come from affection for the characters, uh, no matter how awful they can be. You know, is this something that's discussed about pushing these characters? Yeah, I mean, I think. Um, uh, um, for me, I th- and I, you know, I, don't, I can't speak for the other guys, but it's like I'm weirdly not interested in mean jokes about people. Like, like we're I'll, we're we're developing like a, a like a, a character this season that it's like he's a he's a uh, I mean I don't know what to, um, it's just an interesting moment of like um, which character fat dad. <laughs> 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 we do have affection for Fat Dad, and we're considering taking away his speech impediment for that reason. I mean, he's already fat. Right, but, but, but not really making any of the jokes about his obesity. I'm not particularly interested in that aspect of it. It's that whatever people's characters, like uh, uh, things are that seem to be what is funny about them, then what really is funny is about like what drew them to that moment, like Caesar having a you know mom on meth, or you know Bobby loving his, or or Gil being terrible to his son, or like it's all about the family and friends that surround them. So there's the joke that you see, and then there's the where the meat is 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 the the engine for that. Yeah, and for me, what's helpful about accepting the characters on their own terms, um, along with trying to make Nick cry as each character, is that. <laughs> Whenever it's him and someone else, I'm asking the question, how are they different? Like, how can we explore this world completely? So publicity with Nick and Jenny Slate, when we were first out there, they were a little bit the same as each other for my taste. And there's a temptation when two funny people are together to play the similarities. And we're always looking for the difference, even if it's simple. Like, one of them wants to work, one of them wants to have fun. (laughs) And so... (laughs) You start you start playing the conflict within the world, you yeah. know, and it feels real to us in that way. Yeah. Let's. I, I wanted yeah, to jump to these. Yeah, seems great characters. at making sure that those things exist. Okay. Uh, I wanted to jump to these characters, uh, Liz and Liz. Mm-hmm. Uh, were they developed specifically for the show? 
Um, no, that was a, it. Was a bit I did. I was doing with my uh, my ex girlfriend, uh, <laughs> and uh, and I brought it to when we were doing the show. I was like, I have these girls in mind, and then. I don't know if they were publicists, but then we slowly we got to pub, that they were both named Liz and they were publicists and they had a show called Publicity, and um, and then we just then we just really d- d- worked it out in the room and and you know the it, I, yeah I mean I, think I that, feel like you and Chelsea played a big part in that in the beginning yeah. and once Jenny Slate appeared it just it took life you know yeah I knew Jenny uh, I've known Jenny for a long time in New York she and and uh, her were a few years behind me got to New York and uh, always made me laugh so hard and she and Gabe Leadman who she works with who Gabe wrote on the show in season two is writing for us um he I just burped uh, he they, they had this I've heard their I've heard her talk on stage being like Thank you. Like that thing. And so when we were looking for someone to play the other Liz, it was like Jenny Slate. And then she, she just came out and, you know, and it's just electrically funny. So funny. And really, like, a great improviser. And, and like, the, I was doing that thing that, like, like that, that thing. And I was doing it on the day. And we were like, all right, so Nick will do this, that, the weird thing. Can you do something to sort of to, to counteract that? And she just came out with, like, <laughs> and it was just this, like, magic in a no. bottle moment where you're just, and it, it is so funny. It's so, she's so funny. Yeah, and one thing I love about that sketch is I actually think of her as the wacky one, and Nick's character is the straight woman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it just, but it was, like, Levinstein playing on Steve, like, I, I like to work hard, I like to have fun, and so when you watch it, those beats are constantly, constantly being slammed home that that's there, because that's also how those reality shows work, is... It, you know, they th- those people are trying to do the same things we are, which is create these you know narrative differences in this in in character. And it's, it's, that the drama is based around that. Well, I want to work hard. Well, I just want I just want to have fun. I'm not that invested. And they're you crying. Can always, you can always have two points of view in a scene. Um, and also, like I, I'm really excited because you know I've come from working with a lot of duos, Tim and Eric, Fred and Carrie. And Nick has a bunch, you know, the show is built on a lot of these duos and these comedy, you know, and it's really fun to, the scenes built around these two, usually like two good friends, you know, and that's yeah. really fun. And having another person come in, these John Daly, Jenny, John Mulaney, and it's really fun to have a, you know, a, a tug of war and a, like, you know, these peas in a pod sometimes. But there also is this positivity. Yeah. Like you say, they are friends in each of these cases. And, <laughs> and like, it's, it's not mean hearted. It's not, it's not a. Well, I found that one thing I learned at Tim and Eric was a lot of the stuff that we would do that was extremely mean would be done in a way that was like, we're celebrating the, you know, <laughs> these really stupid things. And it was a different take on like, oh my God, look how dumb these people are. It was like, Look how great all these amazing retarded people are. It's a celebration. So that was like, I think, uh, in Portlandia too, it's just extremely positive, you know? And it's just, it's just more... F- 
There's more life and it can yeah. last longer, I feel like, if, you're, if you like them and you want to see them. Sometimes there's the added question, too, when we have two really funny characters. Do we need a third character who's there to say, this is crazy? You know, and sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't do it. The first publicity, we actually added Mitch, Mitch Hurwitz's yeah. character as the client pretty late in the game, and we thought we c- probably could use a straight man here because this is getting a little nuts. Oh, and he's so funny, and then he comes back in... The Caesar uh, Liz dating episode, it's, and that was another love scene, just perfect. Like it's so funny, and that was a, like an example of an improvised line that he, he at some point in that he's like, "I've never met an impressive person at a skating rink." <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Uh, talk to me a little bit about scripting uh, and improv and how they work on this show. There's a ton of improv. Um, As far as the scripts go, you know, in the first season, we had such talented writers, but none of them were there the whole time. Joe Mandy was there the longest. Um, There were a couple that were there for six weeks, like Carrie Dornetto, but there were a lot who were there for just three weeks. So early on, I decided I wouldn't make people rewrite a lot. I just wanted people to do whatever they thought was funniest. And then I did a fair amount of rewriting um, behind closed doors, usually with a pretty light touch. Mm -hmm. But I just didn't want to be sending scripts back to people and having people just do one thing. I wanted them to do as much as possible. So it was just writers expressing themselves, me shaping it a little bit, and then knowing that um, on stage, everything could change. Right. In that shaping, what were you looking for or what were you adding? It was, usually, it was usually story points or character points or act breaks. I would just want to make sure that um, things came together in dramatic ways when we were um, ending a part one or ending a part two, um, just that the conflicts were really happening. I was partly just taking out insurance policies against the improv, just thinking, if this changes on stage, do we, do we have enough? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we all, you know, I, coming from the league, we have, we, we have outlines, um, like 12-page outlines, a lot of paragraphs, a lot of dialogue in there, but then a lot of room. Um, and and Kreisel on Portlandia and Tim and Eric before it is, is less, is no less scripts, scripted. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for, for what we're doing, my feeling has, is, is like improv is a hugely useful tool for the actor, the writer, and the director because it just it creates a more open, organic process for what's going to happen in the moment. That something on a page can be hilariously funny and then when it gets said out loud, it just doesn't work as well. Um, but, I, but I definitely think that for, in our case, for the, what our show is with how much is happening and how tight and polished everything looks, that a mo- the more structure going into it that you have... The the uh, the better off you are for the for this this the the show itself, but but then within that there is complete freedom and and constant maneuverability in in the the dialogue and and stuff like that, and, and I think that that's really we're I think it's a constant intersection of those two things, like real freedom and real structure. Um, but it, and then it depends on the bit. Like then there's like me and Chelsea's uh, the Skype conversation with Good Bobby B and Farley, which was scripted. We sort of came up with a little later into the season, and we were just sort of talking about it. it was like, all right, Bobby's uh, interviewing a, a woman that wants to get a music career going um, over Skype, and then it's going really well. They're getting emotionally connected to each other, and then his mom comes in, and it falls apart. And that was it. That was the so there was that paragraph. And then me and Chelsea sit in two different rooms with cameras on us going, you know, continuously on each one. We can see each other in our screens. 
and we just improvised for like an hour or two and, and, and then brought in our Bobby's mom and <laughs> fuck with that for ten minutes and then and then that and then and then the editors get to work, you know. But then something like Wheels Ontario, which is like more you know, T V <laughs> what drama, comedy. You know, it's it's a form and you wanna kind of yeah you get that form right so that sticks a little closer. And also that character is so stilted He's almost like, yeah, but there's a there's a good yeah, there's a, a bunch is. of improvised little moments in there mm-hmm. that are super boring. But it's got a huge plot. You know? Yeah, yeah. But that's and that was John Daly and and um, and Joe Mandy who who conceived of that. Um, Daly is uh, was a hockey player growing up, and therefore like obsessed with Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Mandy just is an absorber of everything, uh, and I think loved Degrassi, and so they, <laughs> so they wrote that, and then we, you know, we all did pitched on it, and yeah, and for me it was just adding a couple plot points, like finding a broom in a closet, just little signifiers <laughs> along the way. Um, but basically, that was there from Joe and John, and then we happened to have an editor who's also obsessed with Degrassi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then all these jokes were added through. So at every stage in that, you know, um, it just grew, and that was something that, like, also you're like, you have to write whirling, you have to write the idea of wheelchair curling, <laughs> so that the art department can. You know, put a target in an ice skating rink in Van Nuys. There were a lot of discussions about how does this game work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, uh, it doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah. yeah, we'd have to say it's okay if they don't understand the rules. Yeah. That's fine. As long as you have daily screen, like skating around, be like, good for great. <laughs> and we, so now that the season is over, I, we, I felt we made it very late in the season. And this is an example of putting that puzzle together, where you're like, we just, we, it, it got written late. We shot it later, um, and and I think when we were shooting, we we're like even when we were writing, it was like this feels really good. And we we wrote another script, but just didn't have time production wise to go and shoot another one. So it was crazy to put something out that first week. And that's the beauty and the weird part about making a show that has eight shows in it that. People are like, I want to see more of that. And you're like, I would love to show you more of that. It, um, so we are making more for season two, um, but it was so it was so strong that we wanted to put it early in the season. Um, so it's just an interesting aspect to the whole thing of people like falling in love with uh, strong words, but uh, people people gravitating to specific shows that become their favorites that they want to see more of. It's interesting. I mean, it, it, I guess I never thought of it as eight shows within one show, but obviously that's what you guys are playing with from the opening credits, which are so much fun, uh, on. Was it always going to be a co- cohesive universe? I think we wanted it to be, yeah, yeah. for sure, because that's the, seeing those little overlaps and seeing people show up in different places and creating something like San Diego Diet that, you know, Liz is on. You know, it's just a cooler... It's a, that makes it a TV show as opposed to something that just can be split up. And, you know, we really wanted to make a TV show, not just like one-off things that could live or die on their own. It's nice to have it. You know, it's still on TV, and you're supposed to watch it together. You get an added bonus yeah. because of that. There's a lot of Easter eggs and re- rewards. It's just more fun. It's like more. It's a more textured thing, I think, for all of us to play with. Like. Hubel, if you watch like in the final in the finale, Liz is eating uh, when she gets after she gets nommed, she's eating <laughs> Chick Club, which was from episode one. And Chick Club is throughout, throughout in the yeah. video game. It's it's um, the uh, Hubel when he's committing suicide, he calls Chupacabra. He doesn't want to commit suicide. Is um, 
strewn, chick club is strewn all over the fucking bed. Like I said, a terrible night in the valley. And chick club. The Sportsman's Lodge is the hotel that is all over the show. It's like, you know, so... Because it's just more fun. It's more... And yet, it's avoiding at the same time, Kreisel is a real version to seeing, like, my characters, like, cross one another. Um, Do you not have an aversion to it? Uh, I mean, I don't I'm, as much anymore. I used to. I mean, there's You're not as precious after a not, year. <laughs> yeah, now I think we we can do it. We can there, there's certain to worlds that feel real to us that have different tones. Where if they crossed, they would each feel less real to us. But those are becoming fewer and far between at this point. Well, I think we're just. And again, it's the fun. The most fun thing about it is. You, you create these characters and stories that you believe in and you want to see, and then you have a, such a variety of elements that you're never, I'm never bored when wherever we're talking or shooting one of the specific bits, it's like you're never bored with it because you're not tired of telling that story, you know, and like you, you're just chipping away slowly at, at all these worlds. And so, you, you know, and then you're able to find these connecting points, and then it gets really fun of like, ooh, he, ooh, he you know. And it's also finding a different context. A dating show, we can see Liz and Cesar kind of meet. You know, they wouldn't meet on Wheels Ontario, but you know, there's a context for them to meet in. Um, and the the form question that you brought up, or the form, you know, playing with forms, uh, is fascinating to me. And it seems like it's something that you've been doing, uh, Jonathan, since you were doing these uh, industrial films. Yeah, you know, like is this kind of very specific kind of playing? Nobody's forms. better at making the shitty look beautiful than John Crossell. <laughs> it's it's really hard. Even now, it's like I'm like we could just shoot this on VHS. You know, I think it's so cool to see. Because always when you see a show and like, and let's see the whole movie, it's like, well, that doesn't look like a whole movie. No whole movies have a record light blinking. <laughs> it stays on. Yeah. You know, like I like the getting the details right on how things look. Yeah. And, and you really do. And just the specificity of each piece of the show in the show is is amazing. I mean, it was a nightmare because I wanted you know different cameras for different pieces, yeah. different. This is shot at twenty four frames per second. This one is not. And putting it all together. When we did it on Tim and Eric, we would do a similar thing. It was so crappy that we would just... We did it all ourselves, and, on the, and this is like we're doing it right. We color correct things. It looks cool, you know? So it has to kind of... It's more technically correct now, and it, peop, the tech people just hate me. <laughs> I'm like, I did it before. But it's so... It's, it's the best. I mean, he, it, everything just looks... That was the early thing for Beyond the Story and stuff was just that... What, we, there's always the character and the story, and then the other major aspect to it is like, what's the housing? And that's what we, every time we do anything is like, that's the question: is what, what is the the aesthetic and format of it, and what does it look like? You know. Well, and that's another example of where we don't step on each other's toes. Like, I have no visual memory. I can't tell you what you're wearing right now. <laughs> um, and so John really gets to run free with all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, doesn't that get expensive? Um, it can't, yeah, sometimes, you know, we have to cut back because I'm like, oh, we should do it every establish, every like outside of a store, you know, a house in a reality show is the craziest <laughs> shot because they yeah. had a whole day for the season. They shot all these amazing Crazy jib crane, crane yeah. shots. Yeah. And I go, we don't have to have that. Yeah. You know, it's like that will kill us. But. but I think, you know, and the guys that John edits with uh, Bill Benz and Dan Longino, who are the editors and, and uh, are so funny and so on their own as as writers in their own right and um, and are so good at the aesthetics of of John is just but they have such a 
group mind on it that, if, I don't know, for us, we, the first time we saw first cuts of things, normally when you shoot something, you have that first cut, you're like, okay, like you rub people, there's a like, this is the big move, is people like rub their eyes when they see a first cut, and they're all... Well, that'll work, that'll yeah, work. Because like, on the pilot, we had, they, those guys weren't available, so... And they weren't in the union, I think it was what. So we had, you know, we had to sit over the shoulder a lot more, and it was painful. It got there, you know, everything can get there, but But it's it's nice to have people who are like going, I kind of get what you're going for. And their first cuts, like Ghost Bouncers came in, and it was just like, Jesus Christ, this is fucking done. You know what? I wanted to ask about Ghost Bouncers. Uh, Putting a character like Bobby, with whom you've lived for a few years now, uh, into this different setting uh, was was immediately jarring, but then you're like, oh, this this is his world. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about finding that story for him. Um... Well, uh, Bobby Bottle Service started as the first time I did it was like a little on my on my computer, just like a little straight to video, and it was to the internet. It was to the internet ladies, uh, as broad as that, and it was. So he, you know, evolved over the years, and then we shot the Ed Hardy Boys. So, you know, me and you know Daly had worked on that, what that relationship would be, and then Kreisel. So they had solved some mysteries already. Yeah. So it wasn't the first time that they were a duo solving things. <laughs> um, and then we well we shot at Hardy Boys for the pilot, um, and Christian Audiger, the guy who uh, run, you know owns the guy behind Ed Hardy and had been the guy on Von Dutch before that, and so many wonderful brands that have <laughs> improved the aesthetic and uh, and general demeanor of our country. Um, he uh, he had given us. Uh, free access to his his uh, warehouse for clothes and stuff, to, so we could be fully geared out and at Hardy, both for the second video we did on on Funnier Die, but then also for Kroll Show, and uh, we shot it, and um, and then we were trying to get he when we had full access to everything, and then they he wouldn't sign the release for us to use the logos. Um, Christian Audiger looks like. Um, for those of you who don't, he's a Frenchman uh, in his, probably in his early 50s. He's sort of tan, gray, short hair with like a, a, a darker beard. He looks like a Grand Theft Auto character. <laughs> and um, and we, when we, we, we got to meet him because they loved Ed Hardy Boy. So we go in to meet him and we're like, this guy is so lame. Within five minutes, we're like, we love you. You're yeah, the coolest yeah. guy. He is this weird so charmer. It's this charismatic thing. And, like, we sat at a couch, and he had a huge drummer. Um, what are they called? A stick. I don't know what the fuck they're called. Drumstick? Drumstick. But it's a huge, <laughs> this huge drumstick. And, like, and then, like, Harley Davidson, like, you know, like, American flag motorbikes and just, like, fetishized America. And we fell in love with him. He was, he was just a, a crazy dude. Uh, and then he wouldn't sign the release on Ed Hardy for us to use the logo when we shot the pilot. Uh, so shockingly, the guy behind Ed Hardy turned out not to be a trustworthy person. <laughs> so we we threw we basically threw away the Ed Hardy boys that we'd use in the pilot, and we were like, those shows, those Ghost Hunter shows. There, the guy who is on one of those Ghost Hunter shows is basically Bobby Bottle Service. Uh, so it wasn't hard to envision that guy there and then it was about building that story and again from this driven place of falling in love yeah for me I wasn't completely on board at first because I felt like there's going to be a lot of ghost hunter parodies going on out there so until we came up with the virgin whore that he falls in love with (laughs) 
I wasn't completely confident, and then I then I was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hints of Jasmine. You also like you kept. You really like. There's this thing. It's like there's hints of Jasmine, bro. And like, Levenstein will Levenstein will go to town on those things. You know, there's hints of Jasmine. You know, but it is. It's all in the detail, and it's all in what drives Bobby. And then you know she wedges between Peter and and Bobby and betrayal. The betrayal and the reconciliation. And then also Alison Becker is in that, who's in the original Ed Hardy Boys, who's great foil for their just for their just assault. Um, I have one more question, but uh, we're going to get to questions from you guys. If you do have a question, please make your way up to this pole right here, um, and just we'll make a little line like at Comic Con, and um, I will, I'll hold the microphone up to you. Uh, there are two rules for asking questions. This is Tiny Comic Con, right? <laughs> This isn't South by Southwest. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are two, que- two rules for asking questions on these Nerdist Writers panels. One is questions begin with an H or a W, not with an I. They don't have the word hug in them. Uh, and uh, don't touch my microphone is the other one. So if you have a question, <laughs> come up here and uh, I'll get to you in a minute. But uh, while people line up, uh, tell me about the relationship with Comedy Central. Uh, awesome. It's a, it's a dream scenario. I, I, I think... You know, right when we started doing this, there's kind of a new regime there, and it's yeah. Kent Alterman had just started there, right before when we were doing Rich Dicks, he was yeah. literally getting there, um, and and uh, he's a great guy who's a who who had been at Comedy Central back when like Strangers with Candy and UCB were he developed them in New York and left and made films and came back um, and is uh, and the whole team that we've dealt with there they've just been. Really cool. I mean, we again, it helped that we came in with a very clear mm-hmm. idea of what these things look like. It's like you know what you're buying. You're buying these characters, and this is what they look like. And and I think also it was it's been tremendously helpful that you know with Levinson's experience in running shows and being or just being around tons of really good innovative comedy for so long and Kreisel's track record of doing other sketch shows that work like. And, and and I think my sort of understanding of what these characters are, that we think about this stuff as much as they do. I mean, everybody's thinking about it a lot. But I think we, there was a feeling of like, oh, these guys seem to like know, they have a clear vision of what they want to do. Yeah, not just because we think that, we talk about it. So they realized early on that if they give us a note, we'll just start talking, we'll all have something to say, we'll look at every angle of it. I feel like they end every conversation because we just bore them to death somewhere along the way with the analysis once we start talking about their note. Yeah, yeah. We, we over-engage it. Yeah. What kind of notes would you get from them? I mean, minimal. So it's crazy. Most though. of the notes are like, we don't get this, but if you want to do it, yeah. go for it. <laughs> um, and they, I mean, you know, they're like, I think after the pilot, they were like, we really like Ref Jeff, you know? Like, so let's see more. You know, I think, but they were incredibly... Um, I think, and that's the reality of, uh, in a good way, hopefully, of like, especially with cable TV, with FX and Adult Swim and Comedy Central and 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 IFC, like all these venues for shows. Um, I think the lesson has been sort of learned that um, if you hire talented people, like, and they now have a track record of doing stuff, like, let them make it, or they'll go somewhere else and make it. Um, and I and I think Comedy Central has 
taking that. And I, th- I the stuff that they're putting on right now, and I think is really. I think they're doing a lot of good stuff, and and they're they're they've given us a ton of freedom to make the show we wanted to make. Yeah, there'll be a li- they'll be a little bit cautionary about certain things sometimes, but they don't want to trump our creative instincts. It seems like. And again, they'll say they have a question. We'll say oh, we have a question about that too. In fact, we have a hundred questions, and we'll start with our questions. Yeah. And- <laughs> it's helpful, but I you know and 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 going into season two there you know. I'm now having seen the show and being like, okay, there are things that we want to do to keep evolving the show and the format, and and it's it was largely in line with the, their larger thoughts from now having seen it out, you know. In my mind, I I don't know if this is true, but they looked at Chappelle's show and they go, we didn't have anything to do with that. That was just <laughs> a talented person doing his thing, and like I think I they sort of treat it like you're going to be funny or you're not, and we aren't going to like make it funnier necessarily you yeah. know like just you have to just try it yeah comedy is such a you just try it hey it was funny great you know so i don't i think they know that mm-hmm. a little bit and it's really cool along those lines were there things that you guys threw against the wall this in this first season that you feel like didn't work uh that maybe you know didn't I even make it to script oh no there's a lot of extra. perfect <laughs> uh, there's always really? in sketch there's always that was on the show yeah oh as ideas that didn't uh... i mean well we have there was probably there was a handful of sketches that we shot that didn't go but i would say our hit rate of what we actually shot to what got to air was quite high and i would say the hit rate of what we wrote I mean, there were things that, you know, we would give a whirl to and, and it just didn't play, but it feels like generally it became clear when something felt right. I would say Nick has a couple characters that we love that we're still trying to figure out how to make them work on television. Yeah. You know, Chupacabra being an example. Yeah. Um, Fabrice, I feel, are a little underserved so far. Yeah, we're, and it's just, it's, it's an interesting kind of constant, like Chupacabra developed so much more in the podcast audio universe that... It's it's somehow we're just figuring it out. It's like it, seeing him visually is just never like you know. And that's the interesting thing is like I'll be like we should figure out something for Chupacabra. And I was like yeah we should figure it out. And then we don't. And it's <laughs> and it's for, you know no fault to anybody, but it's just a it's a process. You well, know? it also doesn't feel like he's missing. Like it, you know right. the universe yeah. is so full. Yeah, but yeah there's yeah. so many characters to play with. It, yeah. it never feels like anyone's missing. Question. Sure. Don't touch his fucking microphone. <laughs> you can stand up. You're, you're addressing other humans. Right. Hello. Um, yeah, I'm so happy to hear more Wheel, Wheels Ontario. That's, like, amazing. And I'd love to see more of the Euro dude who yeah. are, like, the ox. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we've got a couple things with him. Awesome. Yeah. But um, the thing I wanted to... Was uh, Mr. Show, Bob and David, you know how you guys thread the 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 themes or whatever that one sketch segs to another I feel like you've really taken that to like the next level with like Cesar coming from Armand's world Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. just like uh, to uh, whatever the kid and then to Cesar it's it's really fucking cool thank you thanks and that's the beauty of doing starting with publicity which was I I can't when we did Armand we came up with Armand as the character to do there and then um, we it was fun to shoot him on that day, and then I can't I don't know if we had grand designs. We may have joked a little bit about spinning him off, but then I can't remember. I feel like Kreisel suggested he could be in a domestic comedy, and then that opened up a whole yeah. other world. Yeah, based on like Gene Simmons at home, you know, it's like <laughs> you know the Osbournes. Yeah, it's sort of like let's see this character in there, and then and from then... there it just became like let's just keep snowballing it. I remember getting a text from. 
I remember I was driving. I got a text from, I think, from Levinson. They, they'd been in the room talking about it, and they're like, because we've been talking about him having a, you know, about, uh, I can't remember, about Roman coming up, like his son, his bratty's son, and 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 then I, I can't remember, you, I don't know if you just said, like, he should have a son, or you talked about Roman, and then I was like, his best friend is C, or you were, you would pitch the idea of his, like, a bad influence best friend or something, I can't remember. Yeah, and I feel up. like Mandy went to town on that. Yeah, and I was just like, his friend, Roman, and then his best friend, I was like, his name is Caesar. like, I said it right <laughs> back, and it was, and, the, and it just, and then it, you just keep, but yeah, the, the beauty of that format is that's what they do, they just spin off show after show, you know. And to me, the key with Armand's relationship with Roman is it's just characterized by this incredible restraint on the part of Armand. I mean, Roman is so abusive to his father, and Armand just takes it. It's so tragic. My dad, my dad's like, is Armand the most popular character? Was Armand a, a pre-existing character? No, not at all. I mean, no. He, he, we just were like, oh, she should see an animal plastic surgeon. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, nobody just she said needed that. She needed to get, Liz needed to get her dog red carpet ready because it was for the uh, benefit for cupcakes for canine cancer. Um, and so, and they were like, oh, an animal plastic surgeon. And then it was like, and I had, and we had known Chrysler having spent years in New York and, um, Dr. Zizmore, who is on the subway uh, ads, and he had TV show c- commercials, and, and so we were like that guy, and mixed with sort of a, a, f- a father or a husband on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, mm-hmm. uh, and that, and so it was like, oh, okay. But I, I was doing him, I was doing him very differently until the day. Like we didn't, I didn't know he was going to be sort of expressionless <laughs> entirely till that day, until I got in it, um, and and. Yeah, and but then the coolest part of this whole thing, or for me, one of the coolest parts was they did the Comedy Central did the ads for um, Doctor Doctor Armand's puppy plastic puppylift.com to like his, you know, uh, billboard in L.A. and then subway ads all over New York. And when they showed us in their marketing meeting the subway ads for Doctor Armand. Um, they looked exactly like the Dr. Zizmore ads that ha- that the character was based on. So it was this crazy full circle thing. And I just I I saw that and I was like, great, we're right, we're gonna be okay. Like we're just gonna be fine because it was it was it was a really crazy full uh, full circle thing. Um, and then people started sending me pictures in New York of Dr. Zizmore next to Dr. Armand ads, and they're, it's fucking awesome. Question. <laughs> Hello. Uh, thank you for coming here. Uh, two questions. First one is, I uh, can't think of the guy's name, but it's Leland from Twin Peaks. How does he get involved with your shows? And, tw- and, uh, and it's in Tim and Eric as well. Yeah, very wise. Um, like guys like Jeff Goldblum. Like how do these guys get involved with what you're doing? I would say there's a lot of people out there, Goldblum, Nick's worked with a bunch, um, too, uh, that they always have their finger on like what's going on and the, with the cool kids coming up in the scene and they just want to be a part of it. I think um, Ray Wise, I, it was funny. <laughs> he told us that, he's like, well, these pants that I'm wearing, I got when I was on like The Mentalist and I got, they got this suit when I was on Criminal Minds. He's a, he works. He works in TV, but he is like, it's fun to play with Oh my God! We're going to bring in a great actor. You know, it's fun to play with like really good actors. And for that kind of piece, where it's like we're doing a RoboCop, we're ostensibly doing a RoboCop parody, RoboCop. and he's in RoboCop, and <laughs> and so you know, for, again, a credit to like everything to look exactly like it's supposed to look. Like that scene is shot 
you know, Kreisel is, has a really great attention to the detail of the aesthetic, and that that scene plays like a real movie, and like, um, and and then you heighten it by having a guy who would be in that movie, and that's the that's the most fun. Is you want, you know, me and my friends to sort of be these broader comedic characters, and then you want the the people who feel like they really would be there in those worlds to 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 fill it out. As far as the phrases for the rich dicks, like, mm-hmm. uh, give me a bark, <laughs> like, is that based off of somebody, or do you guys just come up with it yourself? That? And, and who? Um, give, me your, give me a bark was on the day, I think. Uh, that was just daily popping that out. Yeah, I would say, I mean, there's some that are written, like, dolph- dolphinately, you guys. Well, but dolphinately came out of me and Daly, me and, that came out of uh, uh, me and Daly on stage at UCB just fucking around with the characters before starting production. Um, which is a very useful skill that I have not. Oh, the more we get further into production, I have less opportunity to do. But it's just presenting the characters live on stage uh, and improvising with them, uh, you can find some of those catchphrasey things or specific ways that people talk, and um, and that that is a so that that element. Uh, and then there's a lot on the day, and then there's like you sort of set up things of like oh like the oh hello guys you know pr- just pronounce. Shorten the first uh, aspect, like cocaine. You know what I mean? Like there, and then it's like, and so then you just start to find those rules of how someone speaks and try to keep doing it, or creating something like dolphinately that comes out. Of Other questions? I remember in the editing room watching "Give Me a Bark," and we thought, God. That is so stupid, <laughs> but it's so funny. It's so broad, but it works mm-hmm. for some reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just going to ask uh, how you nailed Canada. I'm from Wheels, Ontario. Uh, I, I don't know if it's popular in Canada. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's easy to get in Canada. I got it through completely legitimate sources. Sure. Uh, and I'm here just visiting, but when I, I showed it to people in Canada, they're like, nailed. Like, yeah, that was... that's what I was local. Yeah, this people really... Canadians really got a kick out of it, which I loved. Yeah. Um, that was really, I mean, that's really Daly and, and, and Joe n- loving, that, loving that world. And Daly then, really knows those details, bag of milk, and yeah, somehow he knows those things. That, and then you start making them, and then you create them, as a, but then you just, and it's for me, it was like I had a Joel Otto jersey growing up. Like I had a, Calgary, I had a Joel Otto jersey from the Calgary Flames, so if we're going to reference a, a hockey player, like he, he was playing 20 years ago, so it's more fun to reference him than, like, Wayne Gretzky, who an American would think to mention. Uh, Nick, Nick had to commit to that willfully bland character when he played Mikey, and so any time he veered towards being interesting, he really pulled himself back. <laughs> that, was a, that was a weird improvised moment on that, where it's like, she's like, Tunes shows us the, her stereo, and I'm like, oh, you like music? She's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> Cool, you know, and that's it. Like that's the extent of the conversation. But I really wanted, and still, every time we're getting ready to, just every line has to be Canadian specific. Yeah. Go, you know, get those details and the accent. Even if, yeah, you know. it's so. And even if the, I mean, I think people don't care about if they don't even know Canada as long as they know. <laughs> you're hearing specifics. Like people just specifics are just always more fun. And there's an internal logic, too. I mean, it's the specifics of the character and the world, too. Uh The the brilliant takedown you guys did of that advertising your logo Uh here, was that more of a... (laughs) 
an attack <laughs> on that trope being overdone of beats and rhythms of things becoming the sort of cacophonous rhythmous thing, or consume, consume, consume until you shit yourself. Oh, interesting. Uh, I love your take I love the, I love the, the d- depthful take on it. Um, okay, so we, that was, that had been like, Chrysler and I had been, since the pilot, been thinking about like, those like Coke commercials from oh, the yeah. like, late 90s of like, multi-ethnic those Coke commercials. Those rhythm You know, and they're all doing that, and we just kept... those Coke ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just kept we kept kind of banging that. We were like, well, what is the you know? And then and then I I, I shit my pants and um, in real life. And then we sort of thought that might be a, a fun part Kit to Kat. play. Let's take a Kit Kat commercial. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I, I don't love shit jokes. I try not to impede anything on this show. But every once in a while, I just say, okay, I'm out on this one. <laughs> um, and so then we we started and then. But what was it? We never we we, we got never to... figured out what it would be an ad for. That was <laughs> yeah. the main thing. Like, yeah. what is this? What is this an ad for? And then we realized that as you watch those like collection of like the wildest commercials in the world, <laughs> you know, like that was that that voice that sort of. And then it just we we tried a couple things and then because there are so many commercials that are like random and yeah. like so that. The idea was you could put anything as the tagline on this, yeah. and it would be sort of like we're associating our brand with whatever that cool rhythmic thing was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the advertising your logo here came late. That was oh, one yeah. of the last things we did. We got a call from Comedy Central. Is there a reason the man <laughs> saying it has an Australian accent? <laughs> no. No, there's not. Well, there was a reason, but it had nothing yeah. to do with the It ad. was the you know, yeah. best commercial. Yeah. They're always yeah. Australian. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. we said, well, we'll try try to beat it, and then we called them back a couple weeks later. We, we couldn't beat it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as long as we're getting that specific, um, talk to me for a minute about the Talking head segments mm-hmm. uh, on the show, which I feel like is something Comedy Central has tried to do with a lot of their shows to varying success. Yeah, they, they let us... They, they were willing to not uh, force us to do that. Though early on, we were like, we don't want to do anything live. We don't want it to feel like another Comedy Central show. Uh, both the the ones that worked and the ones that didn't, um, and and we shot the pilot without it, without any of me as me, mm-hmm. and we, and then in looking at, it, I think Kreisel was the one who sort of really was like, I think maybe it'd be good to bring you into it, and then it was like, well, how do we do it? And and we watched a bunch of things, and and then watched Annie Hall, uh, the beginning of Annie Hall, where Woody Allen speaking straight to camera in front of like a brown background, and we thought. Maybe that would be a useful, uh, a good, separate format of me as me. And Kreisel, what what led you to this? Was it a pacing thing? I was think it just needing show, another tone. Yeah, it was a pacing thing of just like the ship was so. The, these sketches are tight to the bone. There's music. There's graph. It is so tight. Just to have a breather in the beginning. Meet Nick just a little bit, you know. Because I really disappear into these characters. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and I felt like it's more impressive to see him as the characters if you see him as himself also, so you know who it is that's, uh, that's doing it. But then later in the season when we got a little more playful and had him with Jenny Slate in front of the backdrop and him with uh, Daly and him with uh, Andy Milanakis, we want to do a little bit more of that too because it felt looser to us. It felt yeah. a little bit more fun. I think you still will, will, will you know, it's, uh, that's one aspect of the show that I think will continue to evolve is is how you see me, and, and um, it, it's a useful... I mean, there's a reason, like, every sketch show has that. You know, almost every show, there's a reason, like, 
Bob and David came out at the beginning of Mr. Show, and obviously Chappelle did it, and um, and almost every show, I mean, the host of Saturday Night Live comes out at the beginning, and like you just, it, it gives you someone to connect to, and then and and then hopefully that you know the people disappear in, into it, but um, but I think you know the, the as we went along the season, bringing other folks in just made it more fun for me. It's more natural. You see, kind of like who I am versus like me doing a, a joke. Um, so, you know, all of it's, we create a very, very concrete rules for ourselves and then break them whenever it doesn't interest us. Christ and I are off stage shaming him, which probably adds <laughs> to that, you know? Just like he tells a joke. There's no, it's not, you're not telling a joke in front of a live audience. You're telling, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> Do it so, again. yeah, it's a, you know, um, maybe it's a false humility that I've created to... <laughs> Deflect from my insane success. Go ahead, sir. Um, I was going to ask, how much of those reality shows do you actually have to watch to get down those details, like Liz and Liz? Like, how many, how many episodes of The Hills and like how Ghost dare Bouncers? You. <laughs> those are some of the best shows. Yeah. I, you know, it, it all it depends. I think, like, you know, I won't out any specific writers, but some some people do like to watch those shows and. Um, the like Real Housewives world and stuff, and then sometimes it's like you just like cries. We we'll all just sit around and watch like two episodes of Ghost Bouncer, Ghost Hunters. And you're like, okay, I understand this format. Yeah, I, I actually did watch. That's the one I do. I did watch Ghost. The one on sci-fi I did yeah. watch a bunch of. My wife loves it. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I watch them for pleasure, and then Nick and Kreis will study them. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I can watch about. Five minutes and I get every yeah, single yeah, yeah. thing. Whereas I'm not interested in just getting it. <laughs> you really want to? You want to get into it? Yeah. It, uh, yeah, and I, you know, yeah. There's a lot of time for me uh, sitting around and watching like five minutes of TV shows. Like I'll spend a night flipping through the channels for like three hours and get five minutes and absorb a, a format or genre, or, and and then sort of be like, all right, let's look more at that. You know. It seems like you guys had a, a fairly easy run of things uh, for this first season, um, creatively and you know practically. What were some of the challenges? Waiting, you know, waiting was a challenge. Delaying gratification was a challenge because we did the pilot two years ago, and it was also um, supposed to premiere last year, right? It, it, there was talk of it coming out in the summer, and then they just felt like it made more sense to put it out in January. And they're, you know, they might have been right. It, either way, it was like, you know, it was it, every decision that was made, at least for Comedy Central's part, came from a place of logic. There was never like where you're like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Um, Trying to be current without being topical was yeah. a little bit of a challenge, I would say. And we, we had a few pieces, you know, Chick Club we released over the summer or fall when Chick-fil-A, it was in the fall when Chick-fil-A um, got even bigger in the news. I mean, we had been tra- obviously sort of tracking that. Uh, and then the drones thing we put out, uh, maybe a, f- a week, a sl- not even, it just happened to, you know. So there, when you're sitting for that long on something, you're, you know, you're you're just waiting for some other show to do something like it, or or because imagine an SNL that came out a year later, you would just be like, I don't get a single one. Of, you know, it's so topical. Yeah, so. and sometimes we were afraid, like you know, ponytails, which uh, Jesse Klein and Seth Morris did. Um, I kept being afraid that there was going to be a lot of ponytail sketches <laughs> yeah. before we were on the air. Yeah, um, and yeah, and there wasn't shockingly no. that nobody had decided to. <laughs> But yeah, that's the you know that is the goal, and but I think it's like what you want to you know to hopefully make something that feels like it has some 
that it will last. You don't want to get stuck too much in direct references of pop culture stuff. I think we're interested in like pop culture phenomenon or, or things that feel current to the landscape, but but to specific people or things. That's where I think uh, we were we ter- we ended up being very lucky that that we did it that way and that our show was delayed because um, it, it made it feel still pretty evergreen, hopefully. Um, what are you guys, and we'll start on the end with Carzel, what are you guys watching on television? What are you talking about amongst yourselves? What are you watching in the movies, reading? Um, I watch a lot of those British um, sketch shows that definitely been influenced. You like know. which ones? These guys. IT Crowd, I love it. I mean, that's, that's a script, you know, a narrative show. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely like Snuffbox, um, which is the Matt Berry, mm-hmm. Rich Fulcher show. Um, I just watched House of Cards. I loved it. The, the British one? The American one. Mm-hmm. I keep hearing two different things on House of Cards. I thought Have it was great. A lot of people yeah. probably hate it because they thought the British one was better. <laughs> That's how I feel about The Office. But um, Oh. Ooh, uh, <laughs> um, a lot of Top Chef. I love it. I love it. It's the one show that I, you know, never give up on. <laughs> it's season after season. It's so good. Um, definitely watch Girls. It's, you know, it's, it's a, I like it that it's very flawed. I feel like, you know, Portlandia is very flawed, and, and Louie is flawed, and it's good, fun to watch stuff that's flawed. I do scream, you know, it's, it's so frustrating sometimes, but it's really insightful and really funny, and, you know, so that's, you know... Th- TV is very exciting. There's a lot of weird stuff going on out there that's really cool and that has a very, you know, there's a lot of small audience shows. And um, I think hopefully we're trying to make something that could, you know, you could discover 10 years later and it would still be of quality. So, John? Recently, Nathan, for you, which I love. Um, But mainly for me, it's been our dramas for a while, so and they seem to cycle around in the course of the year. So right now, my drama is Justified, then Game of Thrones will come back round, um, then Homeland. But right now, it's Justified, which I think is perfect, except when they show the hills. And it's so obviously the denuded hills of Topanga, and it's supposed to be bluegrass country. I uh, I don't honestly I don't know what I consume. Um, I've been watching Breaking Bad. Uh, in, He's in, real far behind. I'm like on season three of Breaking Bad right now. Uh, it's a great show. You guys should check it out. Probably the first. So like, and I watched the first season of Homeland and loved it, and then forgot to watch the second season. It's not as good. Girls, same thing. Uh, I'm, I've seen a few this season. Um, but I really do flip through the channels. I like will like my the amount of nights that I'm actually home, you know, with, to watch TV or sort of limited. So I will just be like, oh, let's watch like ten minutes of this uh, Korean Christian preacher, and then <laughs> you know, five minutes of this like infomercial about a beauty product, and then five minutes of. Uh, you know, Shaw's at Beverly Hills, and then like ten minutes on Sports Center, and then five minutes on Shark Tank, and then and that's kind of how I consume it for a night. Um, and um, yeah, it's kind of weird. I do watch Bill Maher every week. Really? And I fast forward through the monologue. I don't know why, <laughs> but I love that show. I just love it. Yeah. Uh, is there anything you guys? Where are you in production on season two? We start tomorrow morning. We start shooting no season two. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, what are you excited about for the season? 
Um, I mean, we got some spoilers that we are not telling you. <laughs> we are, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll, I mean I'm, I'm excited. We've got to, a couple new characters um, that are going to be really fun. And then just, like, characters that appeared a little bit in season one that we start to, like, Nash Ricky, the game interrupter, uh, the guy who's in the football sketch who's, like, singing about timeouts on the field. Um, we start, because we did a little interview of him that ends at the end of that, where he's like, I love, uh, I love pussy, I love the internet. <laughs> so we all got excited about seeing him more, and so we've built some stuff. And um, Caesar um, has is gonna has a great. I mean, I'm uh, there's just I'm I'm excited for all of them. I really am. Like I can't fucking wait. It's like because there's so many to play with. So we just we're just gonna get delve further into all these people's worlds. Terrific. Please give a round of applause. Nick Cole, John Levenstein, Jonathan Kreisel. Thanks to everyone here at Nerdist Industries and Meltdown Comics and 2826 LA. Thanks, guys. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Nerdist.com.